God's Word. And that song challenged us, uh, me as the speaker, you as the listener, uh, that we would both, one, speak to convey accurately, and two, speak to respond faithfully. And uh, so let's, let's ask the Lord to do just that. Father, we thank you for this time in our worship service where we can look into your Word. We can understand its principles. We can understand its commands. We can engage in it week in and week out. But, Father, you desire that we would respond to your word. And so, Lord, in the preaching and in the hearing today, we pray that you'd be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are uh, still in our study of uh, Galatians. And last week we studied Galatians 5, verses 1 through 6. And uh, I think I... May have rushed a little bit on through some of the things, so I'm gonna I'm gonna revisit this text because really verses one through twelve it would be one complete section in my mind as uh, as I have studied it out, and so we dealt with uh, half of it last week. We'll deal with the other half this week, but I wanted to um, actually remind ourselves what it was that we engaged in. So join with me as we just read through this. Uh, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. That's what Paul, Paul is commanding. He's like, listen, this is something that you ought to do. Be confident uh, in the liberty which Christ has made you free, right? And, and, and this is part of the way your Christian life is to be lived. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. It's the idea there is fallen away from. You're not living in the context of grace. You've turned your back on it. You haven't lost your salvation. That's not what it's teaching. Verse 5, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avail anything but faith working through love. So let me just re, re, remind you of what we uh, touched on last week. I, I'm formatting it slightly different for a little bit easier digestion, right, of, of God's Word. But trusting in grace plus works for salvation is what we do not want to do. Just to get that out there, we're, this is not what we are, are uh, interested in you uh, adopting in your life. Because grace plus works for salvation leads to spiritual bondage. It's a losing proposition. You gain nothing from it whatsoever, no profit. It's a never-ending obligation. You are, you, are, you are going to be trapped in this never-ending never process of trying to do good, trying to do good, trying to do good to make God happy. That's not what the gospel is all about. And it is actually a denial of God's grace, God's unmerited favor, God's willingness to love you in, by, by sending His Son. You, we don't deserve salvation. It's completely a work of grace. And God has freely given to us what we do not deserve. But trusting in grace alone, which is what we do commend to you, we do encourage you, please, it's grace. It's all of grace. Uh, it is a work of the Holy Spirit. And that, that should really cause us to pause every time we encounter the reality that as a believer in Jesus Christ, when we come to that genuine uh, faith that says it is all of Christ, 
He is God's son. He paid the price for my sins on that cross. He died. He was, he was, uh, he raised, he was risen again on the third day. He, is, he saw, was seen by many witnesses. He, is, he ascended into heaven, and he's coming back again. This is all part of our faith. Part of that is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life. An evidence of your uh, regenerate nature, right? Your born-again nature is the fact that you don't do things, you don't see things the way you used to do before you came to faith. The Holy Spirit is present in your life. He's making a difference in your life. He's guiding you. He's directing you. He's convicting you. He's uh, empowering you. And through that work of the Holy Spirit, it, uh, grace alone uh, for salvation is always looking to the future. And we talked about there's a specific future in mind. It's a, it's a future that looks at a specific hope. It's not our temporal future. It's our eternal future. And this specific hope is the hope that one day we'll be in the presence of God experiencing the righteousness which only comes by faith. I'm working through that list. That righteousness that says, I can stand in the presence of God. It would be absurd and preposterous for us to consider that we could stand in the presence of God on our own merit. But because the gospel tells us it's not our own merit that God sees, he sees the meritorious work of Christ on our behalf. We can stand in his presence. And Paul is saying to the, to the uh, Galatians, he's saying, listen, this, F, this, this future righteousness, we have this confident hope that it, is real, it will be realized because it's in God's hand. It's not in ours. And we have this, this, this hope. We can live confidently in our faith because we are looking at that righteousness as if it's, it, it is real in, in, in uh, our standing before God, but it won't be experienced until we're in His presence fully. We won't, we won't experience it fully. So we look forward to that day. I hope you look forward to that day. Uh, I, you know, I remember being a young believer. I was in my teenage, early 20s, thinking, Jesus, don't come back just yet. I've still got to do this, 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 and this. And I, you know, there's so much. And if you come back, I don't get to experience those things. And, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, now that I'm almost 58, it's like, no, Jesus, just, just please come. I don't care what the younger Christians say. You know, just, just come now. Just come now. Sorry, younger Christians. But listen, this is something we're supposed to hope for. This is something that this, we're looking forward confidently. But in this life, we are able to evidence this, this reality that we are righteous in God's eyes by our ability to love like Jesus loved and like he loves. We are able to love people, love one another, love those in the body, outside the body. We are able to love in a way that we were never able to love before. And I hope you see that difference in your life. The ability to love others is a supernatural event if it's done to God's glory. So this is what grace alone for salvation, this is part of what he was conveying in his, uh, in his text. What I want to do today is I'm going to revisit, not, not, I'm not going to reread it, but I'm going to summarize both those sections, right, differently here. Because I want to bring up this idea of failures and successes, right? That's what I want to do. So we, we are called to live confidently in Christian liberty, and we fail at this. We fail to live confidently in our Christian liberty when we seek to what? When we seek to add our works to His grace, right? This is now, I say, we fail at living confidently. We're talking to believers. We, we, we fail to live confidently in our Christian liberty when we seek to, as believers to add our good works 
to his grace. We can be prone to do that. These good works that we seek to add to his grace, they result in, in our bondage to a system of works righteousness. He was telling the believers in, in, in Galatian, in the Galatian churches, he's like, listen, don't, you, you go back there. You're just heading towards bondage. You, you think you're, you can add good works into his grace, but you're, you're, by doing that, you're, you're caught up into a system of works righteousness. It it what? It's it's empty. He says you this 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 type of, of works righteousness, it gains you nothing and it prevents you from walking in his grace. We desire to walk in God's grace, do we not? To, to know the presence of God in our life and to and to walk freely, not thinking that somehow oh, I get out of bed and I've got to please him somehow. I don't know how in the world I'm going to please God today. Oh, it is so arduous. It's so difficult to please God. No. That's not what's going on. It is by grace we have been saved. We are called to live in that grace. That grace is supposed to be present in our life. We can, Paul is saying, we can live confidently in our Christian liberty because it's all of grace. And so if we were to take the opposite of this, we gain everything. And we do get to walk in His grace. So, but if we fail, this is what it looks like. But if we succeed, right? If we succeed in living confidently in our Christian liberty, uh, this is how we succeed. When by faith we rely upon the Holy Spirit to give us confidence in our future righteousness. I've already discussed this, but I'm just saying this is a way of summarizing a way. Hopefully maybe it, it will come across a little clearer than I, than I think it was last week. We succeed in being in living confidently in our Christian liberty, this thing that we possess, when, when we rely upon the Holy Spirit, the one who indwells us, he gives us confidence in this future righteousness. That's what, that's what the Word of God is saying. And it's obtained for us, not by us. It's obtained for us by Christ. And when this is true of us, then we are able to express that righteousness now as we love others. It's a, it's a reality now that we get to experience what will be fully experienced in the future. So that's, that's a precursor. as That's the first part, in a sense, of, of these verses. So now as we go into verses 7 through 12, I'm going to ask you to, to read along with me as well. I mean, you read, I'll read out loud, loud. You read uh, quietly. Uh, he, Paul says to the Galatians, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, this particular section, 7 through 12, doesn't read as easily as the first section. It doesn't, it's not as clear how it all is connected. I'm hoping I can make that clearer for you as we go through uh, this text. But we are still in this, in this truth that we are called to live confidently in our Christian liberty. We're going to, when we oftentimes when the topic of Christian liberty comes up, it's the way we're not supposed to do it. We're going to get to that next week, all right? But and the way we're supposed to do it, this is still talking about how we can have success. So uh, the, the Galatians, they had success. 
They succeeded in walking confidently in the Christian liberty. Paul says it. He says, you ran well. Remember verse 1. It's like, stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. You did it. You ran well. I saw you. I observed you. You were characterized by the things of God. You were, the Holy Spirit was working in your life, and I saw the love of Christ flowing from you. You were students of the Word. You, you wanted to be obedient. You ran well. And I think if I were to know the, the, the life of each of the believers in this room, I could probably say the same thing, and we could probably say it to one another. We can look at our past, and we can say, you ran well. I can look in the mirror, and I can say, yeah, I, I remember I ran well at this particular time in my life. So it's, a, it's, it's true uh, that the Galatians succeeded, but they succeeded in doing this for a period of time because in this particular moment in time, Paul's confronting them. And he, and he says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? There, this, this idea of... of uh, Hinder is something has taken place in the, in the uh, Galatian churches that Paul's writing to. This idea of hindered, and I forgot to say this in the first service, but it, it's the idea, who cut in on you? You ran well. He's using this imagery of running. We, we are comfortable with Paul using that terminology. Run the good race, fight the good fight. Here he's saying, you ran, and you ran well. You ran according to the rules. You ran according to your training. You ran, you know, I know what it means to run. My feet are bad because I used to run, right? But it's like, I used to run well. And, and, but here it says, who hindered you? The picture I'd ask you to consider on this one is uh, watching the Olympics. And for me, it always, it's the marathon runners, right, that, I do not envy, and I never want. I never have a desire to run a marathon. Um, but you have these really these long distance runners. They're going around the track. They're going around the track, and you and they 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 start off in this bunch of people, and eventually will spread out. But when they're running together, and you have that one guy that just like man, they're just fighting for position, right? And, just, and they just cut in. That's the, that's the idea of this word hindered. It's the idea of cutting in. It's building upon the illustration of running well. And, and so he says, who cut in on you that you are not obeying the truth? This is a serious development in, in the life, in the church, in churches in Galatia. And Paul's calling them out. Someone shares the blame for their departure from obedience. They don't share the, they don't have the full blame. It's not the devil made me do it and therefore I'm innocent. It's his fault. That never works. Right? We understand that sin comes about when we're tempted and when we, when we act upon that temptation, right? When we take part in disobeying God, we sin. So it's just not taking the responsibility and throwing it onto someone else, but we, Paul is saying someone shares the blame for their departure from obedience. Who is this person? Well, the who really isn't Paul's primary interest. And he may actually know, and it may be just a rhetorical way of writing it, or he really doesn't know, and, and he's just causing the Galatians to think through, who is this person or who are these people that are cutting in, that are hindering you, that are uh, uh, causing you or influencing you in such a way that you're disobedient? 
So we are called to live confidently in our Christian liberty because our success is threatened when we allow others to influence us to disobey God. This is a reality for us in this room right here and right now. As we look at this, this is an individual threat. This is a corporate threat. But I think primarily it's a corporate threat. Wolves and sheep's clothing, whatever metaphor, whatever picture you want to use, it's the idea we are endangered, we are threatened when we allow others to influence us to disobey God. He says, you ran well who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Uh, what we see is that this word persuasion is the only time it's used in the noun form in the New Testament, but the verb form is used uh, quite a bit. It's the idea of persuading, to do good, to do not good. We know that we are, uh, I, I'm not in the sales bu- uh, business, right? I'm not a salesman. I actually tried that once and I failed miserably, all right? Um, but God used it in, in, in uh, glorious ways in my life for that failure. Uh, but this is the idea. This, this persuasion, this isn't talking about their persuading of others. It's talking about a very specific persuasion. The one that, that, that hindered them from obeying the truth. He's addressing the damage that is being done in the church by the false teachers with their false doctrines, telling them to do things that they don't need to do to be in right relationship with God. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. The influence to sin never comes from God. That's what he's saying. There's this hindrance, right? We just said it. This, we have this hindrance and this persuasion. They're both, they're both kind of dealing with the same thing. But he goes, this hindrance, this persuasion, it's not of God. It's not God-ordained. It's a negative influence. Uh... Uh, to follow man's ideas rather than God's word. Now, this, this is something, like I said, this is something we have to be aware of. We need to protect this pulpit. By the way, this pulpit is wonderfully constructed. It is made of wood and metal and gears. It rises, it lowers. It's a wonderful thing. But when we say we're protecting the pulpit, what we mean is we're protecting the word, that the word of God that comes here would be accurate, would be clear, would not be wrong. It would, the person preaching takes care to, 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 to do his best to be accurate to the word. We don't want someone preaching from this pulpit that's preaching lies, their own opinions, uh, or taking the Word of God and maligning it in some way and misconstruing it, twisting it. That's not what we want. There are all kinds of, I'll use the, the broad term, churches, where that is being done, where this Word is not God's Word, to man, it's man's word about God. It's, it's, yeah, a bunch of people got together and they wrote this. No. And they, they call themselves Christian. No, that's not what we're talking about. Negative influences to follow man's desires rather than God's word is something we need to avoid. And, and the, the onus, if that's the right word to use, the pressure upon that is not only from the pulpit, it's also in the pew. Because people aren't necessarily whispering false doctrine into my ears or the ears of the other pastors. But they might be whispering false doctrine to you. 
And, they, and, it, and it can permeate. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But this idea of being hindered, this idea of being persuaded, is the, this, these false teachers are coming in and they are threatening the church. Our success is threatened when we allow others to influence to, us to disobey God. Notice this, even in little ways. Some people, you just, you know, you hear something, you just kind of like, whatever, that was wrong, but I'm not going to call it out. Maybe that's appropriate. Maybe it's not. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. There is false teaching going on. And Galatians, as an example, hey, listen, just observe some days on the calendar. And then it gets a little bit more uh, specific. I think you need to practice circumcision for you to truly experience the salvation of God. And Paul is saying, listen, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to obey the whole law. It starts maybe insignificantly, but false teaching, false doctrine will permeate a church. It will cause damage. It will leaven the whole lump. Living confidently in Christian liberty requires complete obedience to the gospel. Complete. That means every aspect of what we're talking about, we need to be in obedience to the gospel. They were not in obedience to the gospel. And, and so part of the reason they weren't is they weren't doctrinally deep. I'm, I'm pausing. This is one of the principles that we say we value. And we, I, we really do value it. I would say there's probably a majority of people in the room would say, yeah, I, I value doctrinal depth. Well, how do you value doctrinal depth? It says here, a passion for God pulls us deeper into His Word. Well, I like coming to Merrimack Valley Baptist Church because we're doctrinally deep. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean the person behind the pulpit? Does it mean the pastoral staff? Does it mean the deacons? Does it, or does it mean... No, listen, if we're going to be doctrinally deep, it starts in the pew. And is encouraged from the pulpit. We are called to be people who are passionate for God. And so therefore we must know His Word because if you are students of His Word, if you are children of God seeking to know what your Father is conveying, then when someone comes in with a false doctrine, you call it out before it permeates. What often happens is, The person behind the pulpit isn't dealing with it until it's already a problem in the church like Paul is dealing with right now. We are called to doctrinal depth. And that means you need to know God's Word and you need to know it deeply. We are called to live confidently in our Christian liberty. Our success is is threatened it's threatened, we already talked about it, by these people, these false teachers coming in. But it is secured by God's faithfulness to complete His work in us. This is some of the most encouraging words you'll read when we get to the Scripture part anyway. All right, I'm saying the idea that uh, this confident, this, to live confidently in Christian liberty, uh, we don't have to 
rely upon our own efforts to get this done. Remember walking in grace? This is part of that walking in grace. It is secured by God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to us, God's faithfulness to his promises, God's faithfulness to his own character, but it is secured by God's faithfulness to complete his work in us. Uh, He says, I have confidence in you in the Lord, right? I don't know about you, but when I read those words, I'm scratching my head. It's like, Paul has confidence in the Galatians? Well, I really don't think that's his point. I think what he's saying, I'm confident in you, the fact that you're in the Lord, and, and that, and, and that it's his, utter, his utmost confidence is in God to do what God does. We'll look at another text of Scripture here in a minute that supports this. But I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. In other words, I'm confronting you, but I'm confident because I know the Holy Spirit indwells you, and the Holy Spirit indwells me, that God is going to be faithful to bring you to my understanding, to the understanding that I've taught you at the beginning, that you received. Now you're being, it's being twisted, but I'm confident that the Holy Spirit's going to do work in you and that you will not continue in this deceptive behavior. So when we go into uh, Philippians chapter 1, a uh, famous portion of Scripture, but this is Paul speaking to another church He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is saying, I love you, Philippians. You have been uh, at this gospel thing with me for many years. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is is the joy of life in Christ. It is God's work to bring us to salvation. It's God's work to continue us in this salvation. He says, I am confident of this thing, that God who began your work, do you call yourself a Christian today? Because if you are, God did a work in your life. You didn't make a choice, right? God called you to himself. You responded to the initiation of God. It says, cause he sa- it says that he began a good work in you, and he is going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, until the day Jesus returns, right? God is going to see believers through it all. I've had a number of conversations over the last few weeks, and, and it has been a number of, of conversations, talking about our... our um, the perseverance of the safe uh, of the saints, perseverance of the saints to have uh, eternal security. You know what does it mean? This is what it means. It means we can be confident that God, who began the work, is going to complete it. It's not in our control. He goes on and says, "Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel." You all are partakers with me of grace. Paul is saying that to the Philippians. I think the same thing could be said of his heartbeat for the Galatians. So our our success is secured by God's faithfulness to complete his work in us. But false teachers with false doctrine will experience God's judgment. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it is true throughout Scripture that there is a judgment coming. 
Remember the words I, I say so often, but out of Romans, uh, you know, there is therefore now no condemnation for, there is, for those who are in Christ, right? There's no condemnation if you are, if you are a, a true believer in Jesus because God has done this work in you. He will bring it to completion, and therefore there's no condemnation. But there, it will be condemnation for those who say, But Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not work miracles? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. False teachers are going to be those people. Because they're self-deceived too. They're they're deceived. I I shouldn't say self-deceived. They've been deceived by Satan, right? False teachers who, who have false doctrines. That's what teachers do. Teachers teach. Well, false teachers teach, teach false doctrine. And we have to be aware of this truth. But they will experience God's judgment. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul's not focusing on the who. He, he, honestly, like I said, he may know, he may not know. It's not really important to him. He's speaking to believers. I have confidence in you because you're in the Lord. I have confidence in the Lord because of what he is going to do. He began his, the good work in you. He's going to complete it. I'm sure you're going to come to this understanding as you read my letter. But he who troubles you, he is going to bear judgment, whoever he is. Next, we see we can live confidently in our Christian liberty to do that successfully. We cannot allow compromise of the gospel message, even if it brings persecution. This is, I don't know if you've been persecuted for the gospel. Maybe there's different levels of, of persecution that, that take place. But maybe you've experienced compromise. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you have participated in it and then later repented of it. I think that's probably true of me. You know, growing up, not understanding all things about Christianity and the Bible and everything, I've probably a lot of little compromise here or there in my day. But no more. No more, because, listen, if we're going to be success, we cannot allow compromise of the gospel message. Paul says, and, and I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? He is in the midst of suffering persecution, and he's saying, if I still preach circumcision. So let me give you the possible historical background of this. It's basically Paul was an unbeliever. Remember, Paul is the unbeliever. His name was Saul. Saul was going around persecuting the church, uh, putting people in prison, uh, condoning the stoning of Stephen. Uh, he, was, he was very passionate for his wrong beliefs. And that's what I think he's referring to when he says, if I still preach circumcision. Paul would have been like the Judaizers, except for he wasn't a Judaizer. A Judaizer says it's Christ and works and, and the law, right? All those things. Paul was just straight up Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he was preaching the law, all of it, of which circumcision would have been that sign of the covenant, and Paul would have been as vehemently preaching that as any preacher, but he said, if I still preach that. The idea is he's not. That was his prior life to coming to Christ. Remember his conversion, Right? He was actively persecuting, and Jesus knocks him off his animal. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Christ. 
He said, listen, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? That's the idea of compromise. That's where, that's where we say you can't, you can't preach circumcision and preach the gospel. They don't mix. You can't preach grace plus works. And Paul's saying, I've not done that. How do I know I'm not doing that? Because I'm still experiencing persecution. If I were to bow to the pressures of those who are who trying to compromise the gospel, and which would make it not a gospel, he goes, if I went along with them, they wouldn't be persecuting me. But they are persecuting me. And he's saying persecution is worth it. Why? Because, he says, then the offense of the cross has ceased. If he compromises the gospel, if we compromise the gospel, the offense of the cross has ceased. When's the last time you thought of the cross as an offense? I'm not opposed to jewelry in the shape of a cross, uh, but it's not offensive. What, what may be offensive is Jesus still on the cross, right? That may be offensive to you. I don't know. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not, we're not even talking about the offense of the actual cross, of Jesus hanging there, bloody, bruised, uh, really mutilated, and, and where he was disfigured as a man. You didn't even know he was, according to Isaiah, right? It's the idea that, that it, the, the cross is offensive. It's ugly. It's brutal. But that's not what he's talking about. So what's he talking about? If he's saying, listen, if I compromise the gospel, the offense of the cross has ceased. Because it's the offense of the cross that brings people to salvation. The offense of the cross is the gospel. The offense of the cross, it's a, it offends me as an unbeliever to hear that I can't do my good works and somehow God, God should approve of my good works. I should be right in God's eyes. I give money to the poor. I clothe the naked. I do all these things. I'm a good person, God. No, you're compromising. Where's the offense of the cross? Why did God send his son to die? for the wickedness of mankind, for the ugliness of sin. If we don't, if we don't somehow see our sin as necessary for us to be paid, how are we ever going to get saved? The offense of the cross is the fact that you're not good enough to do it yourself. Someone has to atone for your sin. And I ask you this morning, I plead with whoever might be here, either in this room or online, if you don't know the freedom that comes with Christ, that comes with faith in Christ, if you don't know that freedom, this is probably where you're struggling. You probably are. It's not popular to preach sin. It's not popular to tell people that are on their way to hell. It's not popular because it's offensive. And you know, sometimes we're guilty of this and we don't even realize it or we realize it after the fact. And we compromise. I love my family. I love my friends who are not believers, right? And I find myself, and I've been evaluating myself as, as I've been engaged in this text. I sometimes, I think, I wonder, am I watering down the gospel? Am I trying to 
to be creative in the way I present it. So maybe, just maybe, the, something will, will hit them and they'll agree to it and maybe then they'll get saved. And I'm thinking to myself, am I trusting in my own ability? Have I, have I compromised myself? Have I ceased to preach the offense of the cross? That doesn't mean you preach the gospel offensively. Please don't do that. But let people know that their sin is a problem. It began at the fall of man, and it will continue until Jesus returns. But until that time, until Jesus returns, there is an opportunity for people to be offended and to respond in faith and to come to faith. We cannot compromise. We should not compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if persecution is at our door. So we are called to live confidently in our Christian liberty. Our success, it, 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 um, it doesn't allow us to compromise, but it does allow us to desire. I'm going to leave this one up here because we're going to spend a long time with it. It, it. it does allow us, this Christian liberty we have, it allows us to desire that those who are teaching false doctrine will be exposed for who they really are. I want you to read, read that on your own a couple times because it's kind of, I hope it will ex- help explain this, the, the next verse, which really is shocking. Our Christian liberty allows us to desire that those who are teaching false doctrine will be exposed. Wouldn't that be nice? I've already encouraged you. Own the principle of doctrinal depth. Have a passion for God. Be in His Word so that when the, the little lie... The little twisting of the gospel comes in your presence. You witness it and you call it out. You expose it for what it is. Paul is dealing with it on a much higher level. Notice what he says. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. This is where the sermon becomes PG, PG plus, okay? What are we talking about? We're talking about circumcision. The removal of skin And he's saying, listen, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut. Is he saying, is is Paul really saying this? This, Is is it possible that Paul is saying, yeah, I wish these people would just make a mistake and just cut it off. And I got news for you, folks. He is not saying that. How dare Paul step into the flesh in the midst of preaching the gospel? He's saying, listen. We are in the context of circumcision, but there's more at stake here. What he's, he's not interested in, in them causing physical harm to themselves. That would be disgusting, and it would be unchristian, and un, it would not be loving others like Jesus would, would love them. He's saying, listen, there is a practice that is true in pagan worship that would have been taking place in the Galatian area, in the area of the Galatian churches. They all would have known this to be true. That participants, uh, who priests who were part of this pagan worship would literally castrate themselves on purpose to show their devotion for this false god. Paul is just saying, I wish they would just cut it off so that everyone would know they're just like the pagan priests. They're preaching a false gospel. They need to be exposed. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They've infiltrated the church. 
They started little, but it's starting to expand. They're starting to do all this stuff. I wish they would just, I wish those that were troubling it would just cut it all off and proclaim their pagan nature. That's what I think he's saying. He's not wishing them harm. He's wishing they would be exposed. The, we, in our Christian liberty, we should desire this in our own church and in the churches of, of, of like faith. Those who are faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that false teaching, the false doctrines that are present would be exposed so that health can return to the church as Paul is seeking to do for the Galatians. So I'll leave this, this slide up here uh, as we conclude. This is kind of a culmination of a sense of verses 1 through 12, but it's saying, listen, let us stand confident in our Christian liberty. We're going to talk about how Christian liberty can be twisted and messed up and misunderstood and all that. We'll get there. But let's just start off with, with where Paul started off. Let us stand firm in the in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. It is a message for you, Christian. You do not have to bow to this world. You do not have to to compromise the gospel to survive. You can live confident in your Christian liberty. And the evidence, one evidence of that is by loving others. And I do like to add, like Jesus would love, because is there any purer form of love than the love of Jesus? No, there's not. I've experienced it. And, and, uh, and it's beautiful. And then secondly, staying true to the gospel of Christ. You want to be confident? You want to live in confident liberty? Stay true to the gospel. But that means knowing it and knowing it in the depths of what. Because the gospel, right? The gospel is everything. It's the truth. It is what Jesus Christ came to proclaim. It is what the church is supposed to, to uh, teach and live. So let's be that form. Let's be that kind of a church. Let Merrimack Valley be that church that's not just having the right things listed in our confession of faith. Let's be a church that's living it out by loving others and by staying true to the very gospel that saved us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning and how it challenges each of us to respond in faith. Father, if there are people here today that do not know the freedom that's in Christ, that they have never come to a point of understanding the offense of the cross, they've never come to an understanding that their sin is what is ugly and that Jesus Christ initiated by the love of the Father, came down and hung on that cross to pay the sin debt that we could not pay. And for all those who come to faith in Him, we'll have life eternal because He initiates it and He completes it. But we are called to live obediently. Father, we have run well in the past. Help us to continue to run well. Help us to continue to do all that we've talked about and all that your word commands. And Father, I pray that you'd bring people to faith in what Jesus has done for them. And if they've never understood it, Father, if they understand it today, 
I pray that they would repent of their sin and come to faith in Jesus Christ. A faith that would be empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit that would enable them to live their life in response to the grace, in the continuing grace that you provide until that day when Jesus returns. Lord, that's the salvation that we want to promote in this church. That is the salvation we want to invite people to. A life-changing faith. And Father, as believers who have maybe heard the gospel for decades and understood it for decades, Lord, I pray that we would be those who would never be settled. We would never be content to just let life go by. Make us ever students of your word. Whether we're 9 or 99, Father, I pray that you'd give us a passion for you and that you would ever draw us closer to you and deeper into your word. Father, may we respond in faith. May we witness the gospel in our life and in our words to those around us. And may you be glorified as we do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.